Welcome. If you're new here, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, really glad that you're here. And we're going to do something a little different this morning. The paper and pens that are on your seat, if you guys would grab those, we're going to do a little exercise and you'll, you'll see where we're going with this in just a second. Um, we are going to write out, if you, can, if you can, the last like three generations previous to you of your family tree. And if you don't have three, that's okay. Um, but go ahead and just sort of draw your lines, draw your tree. You put yourself at the bottom and then a little arrow up and then mom and dad and then arrow up from them, each of them, their mom and dad. Don't worry about aunts and uncles, just your parents, your grandparents, your great grandparents. Okay, so once you get just everything down, just raise your hand, let me know, we can keep going. Once you write down Jedediah and <laughs> Beatrice. Okay, I'm going to take the giggling to mean that you guys are done because you're showing each other and you're laughing at each other's families. So now what I want you all to do is find a way to make a mark somehow on these lines uh, where there's been divorce. Or adultery. or abuse, addiction, mental illness, An untimely death, somebody who died young, whether that was as a child or whatever you consider that. Someone who experienced active duty combat. Pregnancy out of wedlock? What is that word, wedlock? Um, and last one is um, if there's like unforgiveness or estrangement between one of those people and somebody else in their family. Somebody who you, there's a disconnect because they're not talking to this other person in the family. Okay, so all of these things that I just mentioned, 
will deeply impact not just the person that it's happening to, but the people around them. Can we agree on that? Okay. So raise your hand if one or more of those things shows up in the last three generations of your family. What? You guys have messed up families. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, all of us, right? So just a, a few, or a question to have rolling around in your mind as, as we keep going from here. How do you carry this stuff? Because you do carry this stuff. You, you carry it in terms of expectations for you, for the world, for your spouse, for people that you're dating, for your friends, for older male authority figures. How do you carry this stuff? Are you a slave to it? Like, this is my story because I am a child of my dad and, and it's, this is going to be the same for me? This is going to happen to me? Do you try to hide it or run away from it or bury it? Maybe that's why you're in Nashville because you're not going to be a loser like other members of your family and you're going to go be somebody. You try to protect it or do you feel like it's your responsibility to redeem it? Like you have to go back in there and fix all this stuff that's messed up. Okay, so, so let that stuff just percolate right now. Um, if you were with us last week, you know that we are starting our new spring series, and we're going through the Gospel of Matthew. And this is, as Evan said last week, this is, there are four Gospels, and, and these Gospels are just the story of the good news in Scripture. This is four different perspectives on who Jesus is um, and why he is Lord and Savior and why uh, you are to worship him and how you can come and have a relationship with him. And as Evan said, Matthew is the, um, he is the gospel author that is the most Jewish. He was a Jewish man and he is writing to a Jewish audience. And so that, those concerns and those thoughts and expectations are going to shape how he delivers this message of who Jesus is and presents him to everyone who would read his gospel, including us. And it's no mistake that this is included in scripture, even though very few of us in this room probably were born Jewish. Because what Matthew is claiming is that Jesus is the Christ. And that word Christ just means the anointed one. And that is another way for his Jewish audience to hear him say he is the ultimate king. Because the Jewish people uh, talked about, and there were prophecies about, one who God was sending who was the anointed one. And the anointed one is like, that was God's king. Whoever was king over Israel was the anointed one. But it was also the great high priest. And we'll talk about that in a second. But he was also called the anointed one. And so all of these people in Old Testament times throughout these hundreds of years talked about there is one coming who is the anointed one. And in Hebrew, it was the Messiah. And in Greek, it's the Christ. And that's why you hear people say Jesus Christ. It's really saying Jesus, the anointed one, Jesus, God's great high priest and great king. 
And so um, he starts here with, this is like his origin story, and Matthew is going to start with a genealogy because for all people of royal lineage, all kings had to list out their genealogy and prove their rightful uh, claim to the throne. And so that's why Matthew starts his gospel with the genealogy of Jesus. And so uh, if you've looked ahead, these first 17 verses are mostly names, and they're mostly Hebrew names. They're very difficult to pronounce. And so uh, it is a wonderful coincidence that uh, instead of making one of you read this passage, um, one of my old seminary professors was actually passing through town this weekend, and so he is here to read this passage for us. So Dr. William Bertleby, if you would come on up, please. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Dr. Bertleby, it's so good to see you. Brother Avery, it's good to see you. Thank you. You had a profound impact on my life and ministry. I just want to say in front of all these people, like, this is fruit of your labor. So It's a miracle. Am I on? It's a miracle you graduated uh, seminary, but yeah. Thank you, sir. All right. I know how to pronounce all these names. So uh, Matthew 1, 1 through 17. All right. <clears throat> the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab the father of Nishon, and Nishon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Jeram, and Jeram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zodak, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eliziar, and Eliziar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, doctor. It's really a pleasure to see you again. What? <laughs> wow, okay. 
This <laughs> explains a lot. Um, Father, thank you that you are so amazing that you can bring the good news of all of human history to us through a list of names. Uh, that you are meeting us this morning in your power and your love for us. As Evan was talking about uh, giving and how you don't need anything, uh, that is true in all areas of life. You do not need anything from us, but it is your joy to invite us into life with you. You have created us for life with you, and you invite us into life with you, and you have made a way for us to have life with you. And even though we have been your enemies, we have chosen to walk away from you and turn our backs on you and do life on our own terms and be our own gods, you still have pursued us. You still are doing that right now. You are coming after us in your love and in your power to make us your own so that we can experience what we were made for, which is life, which is real life, which is eternal life with you. And so, Lord, would you use this word? Would you use the preaching of your word through a very imperfect vessel to speak powerfully to us and to change us and to draw us to yourself and to melt our cold hearts and to give us new life. And ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so uh, two things about Matthew's writing this as, as, we, as we get going. First is um, this is a Jewish story. This is the story of God being with his people and moving through his people throughout history. But this is not only a Jewish story. Matthew is saying this is a Jewish story, but it is also a story for everyone, and, and you need to pay attention. It makes me think about a friend that I have who said that they grew up Jewish, but that their family just basically picked and chose different things that they uh, observed of the Jewish faith, but then essentially he just said, yeah, my, my mom pretty much just created her own thing. And so that's what we do. When we get together on holidays, we, we do what basically the religion that my mom came up with that involves some elements of Judaism. And what Matthew is saying is that, hey, there are a lot of versions of that out there. There are a lot of versions of choose your own adventure and people just self-selecting out and saying, well, I, I'm not really Jewish or I'm not really Christian or I'm not really religious, so um, that can be for you guys. And he's saying, no, 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 this is for you because this is going to land on you. This is going to impact you. Jesus is not only the Savior and Lord of Jewish people. He is the Savior and Lord of all the earth. And every human that's ever existed has existed because God has decided it to be so. God has created and shaped and formed and brought to life every man, woman, and child that has ever drawn breath on this earth. And so this is your story. And it would, it would do you well to pay attention. It would do you well to lean in. Another thing worth mentioning as we get started is Matthew is not a fool. And he is writing this gospel. He is writing this account of who Jesus is after everyone watched Jesus be crucified and put in a tomb. And Matthew's saying, and still, this is the Christ. This is the anointed one. This is the one whom God has sent to be king forever. He is not dead. 
He is very much alive and he will never die again. And so for these two reasons, lean in and listen. And we're going to start here with this genealogy. And so first in verse 1, why do we care about this man's genealogy? And Matthew's saying, you care about this man's genealogy because he is the Christ. He is the ultimate king, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. He is God's great ultimate king. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, Isaiah was a prophet hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth. And through him, God told his people this in chapter 9. Unto you will be born a son, a child. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Wonderful counselor he'll be called. Mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it forever. So God's people were were waiting. And God is telling not only his people, but he's telling the world, I am sending the ultimate anointed one. The king who will come through David's line, who will sit on David's throne, who will rule, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. It will be increasing. It will spread not only into the the physical bounds of what the kingdom of Israel was at that time, but it will spread over the whole earth and over all of creation. And everyone at some point will realize this king's rule. And it will be a good and perfect rule for the first time ever. It will not be tainted by sin. It will be a rule of perfect peace, a rule of perfect wisdom, of perfect righteousness. And Matthew's saying, this is who Jesus is. This is the one who is coming. This is the one who has come. And so he's, he's said, this is Jesus the Christ. And then he says, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Why does he choose these two people to highlight at the beginning of this genealogy? Okay, the first, we we got to it a little bit with what I just said uh, about this prophecy from Isaiah. But why the son of David? Because he is the ultimate king. David is told by Nathan the prophet in 2 Samuel chapter 7 this. This is God speaking to him through the prophet. I will raise up your offspring after you, David. He will physically come from your line. And he will come from your body, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. There's one who is coming who will never die and who will never leave the throne. And he is going to be a physical descendant from your body. So if you're asking the question, okay, great. If, if we claim, if we Christians, and if Matthew writing this claims that Jesus is not Joseph's birth son, if he is the son of the Holy Spirit, then why are we tracing Joseph's lineage when he is not the father, right? Here's why. Because Mary, her lineage, her genealogy, Jesus' genealogy through his mother is listed in Luke. And from Mary's line, he is a physical descendant of David because Jesus is a physical descendant of Mary, but not Joseph. Mary also comes from David. So through Mary's line, Jesus is this physical descendant of David who was promised. But through Joseph's line, this this king, this physical descendant of David's was going to come through the line of Solomon. And Mary was not through the line of Solomon, but Joseph was. So that's why we care, because he is Jesus's adoptive legal 
father. So we have this one, and Matthew is taking pains to say, hey, look, like, he's meeting all the criteria. And so why do we trace, uh, why do we say that Jesus is the son of Abraham? Why do we mark that? Well, in a sense, you know, I mentioned a second ago, the great high priest of God's people in Israel was also called the anointed. So some people were expecting God to send an ultimate king and a separate ultimate high priest who would, would reign and would deal with his people's sins forever. And some people thought it's going to be the same one. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen because all of this is really hard to put together. It's really hard to make sense. And in a sense, you could think of, of Abraham or the descendant of Abraham as the great high priest because of this prophecy that's given to Abraham in Genesis 12. Through you, Abraham, your offspring, your singular, your one offspring, someone is going to come from you through whom all the families, not just the Jewish people, not just the Israelites, not just your physical descendants, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And to be blessed, among all the other things that it could mean, means for sure that you have peace with God. Because you cannot experience blessing unless you have peace with God and you are okay with him and you are on friendly terms and you are reconciled. Nothing else counts if that is not there. And so essentially what's being said to Abraham is there is one who is coming, your physical descendant, who through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed, will be reconciled to God. The great high priest was set apart from the rest of God's people to make atonement for the sins of God's people through sacrifice. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, part of the passage that we studied this past week, said that he will be called Jesus because... He will save his people from their sins. And Matthew, right from the beginning of his account, is saying, you need to lean in and pay attention because this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, is the Christ. He is the ultimate king from David's line, and he is the ultimate great high priest from Abraham. It would do you well to lean in and pay attention to the life and the teaching and the work of this man. Okay, so we start off really grand. That's verse one. And it only takes us to verse two to where things get really ugly. Verses two through 16 is essentially this line. And it, it begs the question, like, Matthew, are you sure? Are you sure that this is the Christ based on what you're telling us in this man's genealogy? To see the lineage of this great king and this great priest and the father of this nation, um, for any king, for any king's lineage, for any great high priest of God's people, it was very important. The lineage was very important. It was very important for the priest, especially that this was a pure lineage. And, and you all probably know enough from all different cultures. Anytime you have a royal family, it matters greatly, the lineage and the claim to the throne. And so we start off, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Okay, great. We're on board so far. Because if you know anything about the history of God's people, Isaac was the child of promise. Abraham and his wife Sarah were barren. They were not able to physically have children. 
And God said, you know what? It doesn't matter. I will make you able. And you will have children in deep into your old age when it's not possible. And everyone will know that the only reason this is happening is because the God of the universe is with them. And he is making a way where there was no way. So we read, okay, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Great. But even there, like, is it? Because we hold Abraham up in this high regard. But another story we know about Abraham is that he actually didn't believe God telling him this. And so he went and had sex with his wife's servant to try to make this happen on his own terms, in his own power, because he was afraid and he didn't believe God's promises and he didn't know what else to do. And so already in this first movement, we're like, yeah, Abraham's great. We're like, yeah, but also there was some dark stuff and there were some ways in which he wasn't great. And then we start getting into this line and Matthew starts rolling with all these names and we're like, whoa, what are you doing? Like one time I was, the, this church that was really formative for me in Charlotte, I remember the pastor was up there one time and he started talking about being in counseling and start talking about drinking too much and start talking about having issues in his marriage. And I was sitting there the whole time like, dude, you have got to stop talking because where I was at the time was like keeping up appearances. You don't ever let anyone know about anything like that. You just want to present someone who is polished and put together and a finished product and successful. And so the fact that he was doing this was just unnerving me for him. I was getting secondhand embarrassment for him. But the reality was I was the one with the problem, right? Like I was the weak one because I just couldn't understand how this could possibly be okay. And the same is true for any Jewish person who would be reading this genealogy. It's like, as soon as we get to the names that I'm about to start listing, people would be like, whoa, 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 like, stop. And Matthew's like, no, we're okay. Like, we're so okay. It's that you don't understand how okay we are. And so what happens here pretty quickly is Matthew starts listing women. Okay, this is not normal because any genealogy, it just needs to go through the father. Okay, so if you're like, okay, hey, great, Matthew, you want to list women? That's great. How about these mothers of the faith, these mothers of the Hebrew people, like Rebecca and Sarah and Rachel and Leah? And he's like, no, 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 those aren't the ones I'm going to list. I'm going to list all of these women that are foreign and sexually promiscuous or questionable at best. And you're like, what? And he goes on to list four women. First is Tamar. She was a foreigner who, this was a big deal to the Jewish people because they got things twisted and they thought because God has come to us, we need to stay separated from all the other nations so that we can remain holy. And God was like, no, no, no. Like from the beginning, that's not what I said. I said, you are going to be a city on a hill. You are going to be a kingdom of priests and a light to the nations so that everyone will see the relationship they have with their God and be drawn through you to me. But his people got that twisted and like, no, no, we need to stay away. And so the fact that we are listing foreigners in Jesus's lineage would be very, very unsettling to many Jewish people who are reading this as the original audience. So we have Tamar, who was a foreigner who committed incest. She tricked her father-in-law into thinking that she was a prostitute that he did not know, and she committed incest with her father-in-law. And then we have Rahab, who was a foreign prostitute, 
And then we have Ruth, who was a foreign widow, who was pretty great, but she kind of cougared an older man. And it was a little questionable, to be honest. Then we have, um, you know, and this, okay, this, this one, maybe most of all. And uh, in verse 6, David was the father of Solomon by, no, we're not just going to say David was the father of Solomon. No, no, hold on. David was, remember David, this is David, this is our hero. This is the best that we have to offer. If anyone's wondering, like, man, the people of God, Israel, you're like, King David, the man who walked with God, the man who had God's own heart. And Matthew's like, and King David, who had Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Like, I'm not even going to use her name because what I'm trying to show you is David, your hero, had Solomon, who was also this great king, by someone else's wife, who was, this man was a foreigner. And David essentially had relationship with Bathsheba, maybe against her will, and then murdered her husband. And Matthew said, hey, David, right? Yeah, we're all like, we hate the foreigners because we're God's people and David's our man. And Matthew's like, and David, right? Did the worst thing imaginable. It is a, a foreign widow made so by David who was taken advantage of the best of us. Like, that's what we have to offer. That's what humanity has to offer. That's the best of us. And then as he goes on through this lineage, he lists a lot of names who are nobodies, a lot of names who are disappointments and failures. And then he also mentions several names who were kings of God's people through the royal line after David who were so wicked, so wicked that they led the entire nation into worshiping false gods by throwing their babies in a fire. This is the line of Jesus, the anointed one. Thank you, Matthew. This is helpful. What in the world do you want us to see here? Several things, I believe, Matthew would answer that question with. One is humanity's deep need for a savior. Like, if God, if all this is true, and God is the creator of all things, and Jesus is God's Messiah, his chosen one, his anointed, the great king, who is the king over all kings, and if you're like God, just maybe more so than any other, like, this is the one family line that needs to be in pretty good shape. And he's like, no, sorry, this is the best I can do because of y'all. Like, this is the best that we can do because this is the story of humanity in sin. And if you're out there thinking, I would never do those things, that's because you don't have endless resources and endless power. And if you did, you would do those things. And you do small versions of these things all the time with the little power and resources that you do have. And so do I. This is, this is us. We need a savior desperately. But he's also showing us the sovereign 
power of God, the power of God, that nothing can stop him in his mission to save his people and bring them home to himself. Nothing. No high priest before and no king before could ever get by with this family line and this genealogy because everyone wants to clean it up. But it doesn't matter because God's like, you can throw any names in here that you want and I will still accomplish my purposes because it is not about the power or goodness of people. If it ever was about the power or goodness of people, we are all doomed because even the best of us is a total train wreck. So it tells us about our deep need, about the power of God, and also the love of God. Does anybody watch the show The Bear or has seen the show The Bear? Okay, if you have, if you haven't, I don't have time. If you have, uh, there is an episode in season two, and if you've seen it, you will know immediately what I'm about to say. And he comes from a very dysfunctional family with addicts. And it is their Christmas party. And most episodes are 30 to 40 minutes long. This episode is 20 minutes long, and it feels like it's two hours long. Because you are watching an entire family survive one night of this most extreme dysfunctional family full of addicts. And God is saying, I willingly came into the pit of that to be a part of this human family myself because I love you. And we're not talking about enduring 20 minutes of the bear. We're talking about enduring all of human history where this kind of stuff happens on level 10 every day, all the time. And God has sent his son into this to set us free and give us new life in him. And so in verse 16, Matthew references Jesus and says, Jesus, who is called the Christ. And what he's saying here is, I'm telling you that he is the Christ. But you have to decide, is he the Christ? Like, I can tell you, but you have to believe. So people, including me, call him the Christ. Who do you say that he is? And that question goes to every single one of us today. If you are hearing this, then God is asking you this question. What do you say? Do you say that he is the Christ? Because Jesus comes from these people not to get his power or greatness from his ancestors, but to fulfill the prophecies. And he gets his power and greatness and love from his father's side of the family. He comes in the power and the mercy and the holiness and the love of God to save his people from our sins and to lead us as our good shepherd king for all eternity. So among other things, this genealogy, this message to us, the gospel message, the good news of God's love for people through Jesus Christ is a message that crushes pride because you are a sinner and I am a sinner and we are in desperate need of a savior. And if you are trusting in yourself, you have no hope, zero hope. The Savior that you and I need is not us. 
But this message also crushes despair. Because look at the love of this God. And look at his finished work. And then ask, can anything separate you and I from the love of this God? Habakkuk 3.13 is this, this Old Testament prophecy. And it says in advance of what Jesus did when he went to the cross, you went out for the salvation of your people. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You so destroyed the enemy. You so destroyed evil. You so destroyed death. You so destroyed all the things that keep us from you. That is, is like looking at a corpse that has been ripped open. All the things that would keep us from you because of what you've done on our behalf is powerless to keep us from you. Because what Jesus has done is he has taken all of our sin into himself. That's why the family line, the genealogy, is not threatening to him at all. Because he was about to take not only all the things that he's getting from them, but he's literally on a cosmic level taking all of the sin of his people from all of human history, past, present, and future, not onto himself, but into himself, into his very being, so that it could be crucified and sin could be dealt with forever on the cross, and we are set free because all of that penalty has been paid on him. And because he is God, he cannot stay dead. So he dies in our place to remove our sin and guilt and shame from us and the fear of death because we will never die again. And then he says, look at me. And he, God raises him from the dead, never to die again, to show I approve of this sacrifice. This sacrifice counts. It's worth it. It worked. And so now the call is to look on him and be saved. How? To get better? No. To believe. To just believe that this is true. To believe that he has come and done all these things for us and that we have nothing left to fear and that we can be in the presence of God. We can be with him. He can come and dwell with us. He can come and dwell in us. And he would give us life, new life for all eternity because of the finished work of Jesus, not because of anything that I've done or anything that you've done. But you must decide. Matthew is telling you, I am telling you, God himself is telling you through both of us. This is the Christ. This is your salvation. This is your savior. This is your king and good shepherd. Do you believe that? There is nothing that is stopping you from coming to him. Nothing except your own pride. No sin, no shortcoming, no brokenness is ever keeping you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. So now we get to the last verse. God's perfection in our imperfection. Matthew says, so all generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So if you were with us through the study of Revelation, um, you're now much stronger. And we talked about the significance of numbers in Scripture, and three uh, is a number of perfection, and seven is a number of perfection or completeness. And so Matthew, what he's done, he's not making up anything. He's not saying anything that's untrue, but he is selectively leaving out people in Jesus's lineage. 
clearly he's not doing that to protect his reputation because he's put enough people in to let us know he's not worried about that. But what he's doing is he is telling a story to highlight something for us. There were more than 14 generations between some of these things. But Matthew's like, you need to see that through all the human imperfection, God's mission and his work and his savior are perfect. And you need to see God's power, his perfect slow play throughout human history is three double sevens. From Abraham to, the, to David to the exile to the Christ. In David, we have human perfection, which is no perfection at all. And if we trust in that, that leads us to where we will all go, into exile, into death and slavery, the result of depending on our own works, our own goodness, and then you have Jesus, who is the salvation and the shepherd that we are so desperate for. So what? Well, in Christ, as we just celebrated the new members coming in, like your new family is this family, is the family of God. John 1, 12 through 14 says this, to all who receive Jesus, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born of God's will. God is willing that you be born again in Jesus and experience new life in him and be a part of his body, which is this body with our Jesus as the head. So when you look at that piece of paper that might be pretty depressing in front of you that has your family genealogy just for a few generations, the good news is that you can learn from it and you need to learn from it, but you are not a slave to it. This is not your story. That is not the most powerful thing working in you. Your DNA that you receive from your physical parents is not the most powerful thing flowing through you if you are in Christ. The answer to that is the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is more powerful than your parents' DNA. And he is working in all of his people to make us new. So the question is, this is not rhetorical, can God love you a broken sinner. Okay. Can he work through you to do his beautiful work in the world even though you are still broken and a sinner? And can he transform you into something new? Yes. Yes, he can because Romans 8.29 says, we have been chosen by God and predestined before we even drew our first breath, before we stopped giving God the double birds, we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus, not the image of my mom or dad. We have been predestined by God who has chosen us, who will not stop until his work is finished to be made in the image of his son, Jesus. And so look around this room. Okay, these are your brothers and sisters. Now, Raise your hand if you have a messed up family again and keep looking around the room. So can we recognize this together that we are going to have to learn how to be members of this new family because of the families that we came from? Can we agree to that? Yes. Should we be surprised when we get our feelings hurt? Should we be surprised when somebody sins against us? Okay. Y'all, the Lord is working and I am so proud of several conversations in the last couple months where people have been hurt and people have maybe even been sinned against, but certainly had expectations unmet. 
in this body. And we've had some who have decided to just leave. And that's a shame for us and for them. But it is so beautiful when brothers and sisters come together and deal with this because we realize in humility, we are all, including me, learning how to do this because we all come from really jacked up families and really weird ways of relating. And we are learning by the power of the Holy Spirit how to live in this new family. And the Lord is doing something beautiful. So to highlight that, I'm going to call Rachel up to share a little bit about how the Lord's been working in her life. Hey guys, my name is Rachel and I've been at Midtown for a little shy of three years now. Um, And I'm excited to share how God has been moving in my life recently in part through this community. Reflecting on the idea of genealogy, I wanna tell you about how God has been helping me understand where I am, where I've come from, and how to hold the complexities of both those experiences at the same time. So, where I am. Recently, I found myself feeling deeply grateful to feel such affection and care for the people around me. From friends, to yoga instructors, to family, to clients, I'm honestly kind of astounded by how much love and care I feel throughout my daily interactions. Getting videos of my baby niece makes my heart feel like it could burst, (laughs) and reminiscing with my roommates about the funny parts of our days makes my cheeks hurt. And together, these moments create a web of support that simply makes the Lord's presence known. And I feel so blessed by such abundance and safety. Where I come from. The past few years, I've been in grad school to become a mental health therapist. And one of the things that you get to do in counseling school is practice applying theories and concepts to your own family, similar to kind of what we did today. It's both fascinating and really challenging. And through this, I've learned that in so many ways, my genealogy is tainted with imperfections, pain, and the human tendency to act out of fear. My family history includes things like suicide, incarceration, sexual abuse, patterns of divorce, alcoholism, and neglect. And honestly, it breaks my heart to feel the weight and effects of those things. And at the same time, I see God moving in my family, and I see them demonstrating resilience and a willingness to change, and that's humbling me by reminding me that the Lord is so much bigger than I often give him credit for. Holding both. Recently, I was leaving yoga, and while standing at the top of the stairs, had this brief experience of feeling affection for where I am in one moment, quickly followed by grief for where I've been the next. And as I noticed this, I reflected how reflected on how in moments of great joy, I often feel a twinge of sadness too. And later I came across an author describing this experience using a metaphor of bittersweet tears. He wrote that he cries sweet tears from recognizing the love and safety of his relationships, followed by bitter tears because he can still remember feeling stranded from others. And then he'll cry sweet tears again because remembering that pain feels easier to handle than it used to. These bittersweet tears stretch me to depend on the Lord, 
allowing me to hold both where I am and where I come from and all the mixed emotions involved in that. And I can't help but wonder if in these moments there's a glimpse into the tension that Jesus felt, the tension of being grieved by suffering while also being propelled by his love for us. I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for um, the way you've been working in Rachel's life, the way you've been working in my life, the way that you've worked in all of your people's lives here. Lord, we could all tell stories um, like that that are unique to each of us. And um, just thank you for your goodness. And I pray that you would help us as we follow you by faith into this new family. Uh, would you be the author and creator and shaper of this family? Would you, uh, this little family that is Midtown West, would you transform us? Would you use us to help transform one another? Would you give us the courage we need? Would you give us the humility that we need? Would you give us the deep love and wisdom that we need? And uh, would we get to celebrate uh, with joy and peace to see how you are working in our midst and how you're even using not just your word and, the, and your Holy Spirit, but your word and your Holy Spirit moving through my brothers and sisters here in this body. And ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen.